just recorded the whole intro and then forgot to change the input. Um, so take two. Uh, it's me, Blush Cameron here. What you just heard was a clip from an unreleased song that I've been working on. Uh, what'd you think? It's called Ribbons on the Cuffs. It's not out yet, but it will be soon. It's going to be on an album I'm working on. Um, if you liked it, be sure to check out my music that is released by searching Blush Cameron wherever you usually listen to music. Uh, anyways, today's guest is my buddy Eric Butler from the band Mom Jeans, period. I like Eric a lot. Um, I always have a great time chatting with them, and uh, I'm really grateful that they agreed to come on and talk to me. I'm not sure how many pods Eric has done or how many interviews, but hopefully there's some new information and new interesting stories for the fans. Um, Certainly for me, it was a very interesting conversation hearing their perspective, and uh, they've had a really interesting and unique um, ascent in the indie world. Uh, They've had to deal with a lot of shit, and they've been involved, you know, in various controversies and have dealt with a lot of hate, Um, but they're still here, and they've got a ton of really um, nice fans and um, you know, I think they're a really good influence on the kids uh, that come to their shows. I've been to their shows, um, and a lot of kids love their music. Uh, it's always a really hype vibe, and I enjoy it. I like seeing what they do, and I like seeing um, their fans have fun at their shows. Um, we went deep in today's conversation. We went into Eric's history playing music and touched on pretty much every Mom Jeans-related topic you can think of. Uh, We talked about everything from their rise, um, how they became popular, the toll that popularity can take, and um, the toll that the mental, the mental toll that the music industry has taken on Eric. Um, and we talked about uh, beefing with Anthony Fantano, um, and we even talked about being friends with Hope Johnson. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, oh yeah, we also t- we also talked about like the current lineup and how the writing process is way different for their next album. Um, so I think. Uh, any Mom Jeans fans out there will definitely dig um, the conversation that we had. There's one small problem, though. About halfway through, we start breaking up a bit here and there. So please bear with us. It gets a little rough near the end, but I tried to clean it up as best I could. Um, I, left in, I left in everything that I thought you'd be able to, um, you know, get the gist of. Uh, so... And yeah, just sorry. (laughs) Next episode is going to be featuring my buddy Kyle Luck. Kyle played in a band called Oliver Houston, which is a Midwest emo band. We've been on a roll with these emo bands lately. 
Um, so I figured, um, you know, might as well keep it up. If you have anyone you'd like to see as a guest on the podcast, let me know. Leave a comment or DM. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, without further ado, here's the show. So, uh, how's your quarantine been and all that? It's been a, I don't know, it's been complicated. It's weird. I'm, I'm half grateful to live where I live right now, like um, California Bay Area. Like, they're taking everything really seriously, which is nice. Like, they're taking shelter in place really seriously. And, like, the community at large seems to be, like, trying to take things pretty seriously. So I'm grateful for that. But it's definitely, uh, definitely feeling a little bit caged up. For yeah, sure. dude, I think all, everybody's starting to feel that way. All the days are just like blending together for me, and it's like they're going by faster and faster. It's, it's freaking me out. Yeah, totally. It's like May already, basically. Yeah. And it like I don't know. It kind of to me, it feels like we just got back from Australia, like first week of March. Uh huh. Like I don't know where those two months went because I feel like I've been bored as shit this whole time. <laughs> are you still in a house with with the band, or you guys live separately? Yeah, so it's like it's um so myself and Austin, like our drummer, um, uh-huh. like we've been and we're like the core of the band and like have always been and we've lived together like since college. Um, and Joel lives with us too, like our TM, like art director, um, uh-huh. Jay Crum. He he lives with us as well. So the three of us share a house in San Leandro. Um, so Sam, our bass player, like he lives with his parents, like Sam from JF and Snooze and everything. Um, he lives like 20, 25 minutes away from us um, in Dublin, California, which is like the same area where like I grew up and like went to high school and my dad still lives out there. Um, and then Bart lives a solid like two, almost three hours away from us. He lives in Fresno. Oh, wow. um, so we don't see him a whole lot. Um, and I like I understand why he lives there. Like it's super cheap. And like that's where he's from. That's where he grew up. He doesn't want to live anywhere else. Um, and like I feel that way about the Bay Area too. So he's always willing to drive up and like do things. And he's really good at like remote demoing and like writing music on his own. So he makes it oh, work. That's good. Is there like a scene in Fresno? There, there was. I don't. I, I don't mean, really it's, know. It's what... hard to. It's hard to say. We've been. We haven't really been as involved. I haven't really been as involved in the DIY scene as I used to be for like the last two years. Uh-huh. Um, and like any time that we've played Fresno in the last two years it's been like at strummers like at the venue where like every band plays and mm-hmm. like we sold it out and it's been cool and it's been fun like fresno definitely rides for us like yeah it, it's hometown gang it's like a second hometown for us so we've always had good experiences there i mean like if you if you're in a band um like on the west coast in california like you play a lot of places that people don't know about because it's just so big like california right. is like such a wide expanse um it's like two states where it's like five states, honestly. Yeah. I mean, like the way like on the East Coast, you could drive for five hours straight and go through three or four states. Like yeah. you can drive for 12 hours and you're still in California. And so there's like all these little towns and places like we like the first tour we ever did. We didn't leave the West Coast. Like we barely even went to Oregon, right. to Washington. Like we did. We did two weeks of shows just in California. Um, yeah, so there's yeah, definitely imagine. like a lot of little places out there. And Fresno has always been like a little pocket place because there's always been and largely honestly it was because of bart and it was because of the bands that he was in like uh-huh. meeting a montauk and grad life and 
he was kind of honestly for a while single-handedly like keeping the music scene alive in fresno but there are young kids like coming up and kind of like there's there's always going to be like high schoolers that like listen to minor threat you know (laughs) so there's always going to be like a a scene there i think fresno is definitely one of those places where like there's not much else to do so kids are always going to find music yeah that's interesting it's definitely just not the first place that i would think of to have a scene but you know the places that like you said don't have a lot going on otherwise have you know the biggest crowd of kids which is sick uh, you know exactly and, and like the people who know and the like anybody who has like started or been a part of the journey like through the music industry and like through diy like knows about fresno like i saw jeff rosenstock play to like 40 people in a tiny record store in fresno that doesn't exist anymore like that's like that's fucking hilarious and anybody like i don't know people from like at least our generation like definitely like remember fresno as being like a wacky fucking tour stop that you always had to make for sure, yeah. I'd love to get back out there. I was born in San Francisco, but I've barely been. Oh, back. for shouty. I mean, I only lived yeah, there until I was. I, I only lived there till I was till I was two, so um, you know, it barely counts for anything. But Word. Uh, so, what kind of stuff do you do these days when you're not playing shows? Um, well, I um, I've been going to therapy a lot. Oh, good. Uh, and just like um, reconnecting with like my family and dealing. Um, just kind of like dealing with a lot of personal demons and like working on personal growth, like um, DIY and like touring and being in this band, like took a really, really, really big toll on my mental health. Um, In what ways would you say? In a lot of ways, I think um, I don't want to sound like derogatory or that I don't appreciate like our roots or where we come from, but they're, they're like DIY is such a toxic environment. And like, I mean, the music industry as, as a whole is such a toxic place. And I think that it, it really forces you to give up pieces of yourself, um, for the sake of, um, becoming more popular, becoming more successful or making more money or even just it for, it, it was really easy for me to lose sight, sight of the reason why I was doing the things that I was doing and the reason why I wanted to be on tour and the reason why I wanted to make music, um, which ultimately for me is like music is my diary and like music is my oxygen and like playing in a band and just like, it's not even so much about performing as it is that feeling when you get, when you make music with somebody that you really, really connect with. Um, for me, that's always been our drummer, Austin and like our bass player, Sam and Bart. Like there's a reason why this band is special to me and why playing music with these people is special to me. Um, and that's why I want to be in a band. That's why I want to be on tour is because I want to share that with other people. And I want to have those experiences with my friends. And I think I allowed myself to get caught up in a lot of other stuff. I'm just worrying about paying the bills and about, um, being able to continue to do it. And I think honestly, we're all searching for like this fake kind of sense of stability in the music industry. Right. Um, and it's really scary and hard to come to terms with the fact that like in reality that doesn't exist. No. And I don't think that that should be, I don't want that to be like demotivational or something that, that stops people from, from pursuing art and pursuing music. Um, if it's something that they really want to do. But I think I look at it, I look at it as like a trade off, like as human beings, at least like in this fucked up ass capitalistic system that we live in right now, we kind of have a choice It's either like you join the rat race and like you do what the man tells you to do. um, And you kind of like you walk the path that's set before you that you've been told is the way to go for success. Right. 
And that's cool. And that's awesome. And there's, that is, I think where that sense of like safety and security comes from for a lot of people, like knowing that you're like doing the quote unquote right thing, um, doing what works, what has worked for, um, humans for centuries and whatnot. Um, but for me, like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I want to be an artist. Like, I want to walk my own path. I want to forge my own way. And I think part of that is giving up that any semblance of, like, security or any kind of, you know, like, promise mm-hmm. that you're going to wake up tomorrow and, like, have a job or that people are still going to connect with what you're doing or that you are going to, I think, like, intrinsically have some kind of meaning or some kind of purpose if you don't find it for yourself. Um and that's like really scary and hard. No, yeah, I mean, a lot to of people, grapple with. A lot of people live are living like that anyways these days. Even if they're not making art, it's like you know Uber drivers and like gig workers, you know Amazon workers, like just these. The working class is just completely fucked in all exactly. sorts of ways. Like human beings have been turned into fuel for this like machine. And yeah. at least for me, like I recognize that I wasn't. I wasn't going to feel that security. I wasn't going to be able to buy into that sense of security or that feeling um, of like, I guess like protection or like safety. Um, if I did, you know, go the traditional route, you know, like I went to college and I got a degree to get my parents off my back at the end of the day. Oh, but, yeah. like, <laughs> what did you, you go know, for? I, I got a degree in sociology um, and it, it's collecting dust on my dad's wall in his office. Like uh, I haven't done anything with it. I haven't worked a real job since my sophomore year of college. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, like I, I think for me, I like, I knew I was never going to be happy and I was never going to be able to buy into that sense of security. If I did the rat race, if I did the, you know, quote unquote right thing anyway. So I might as well forge my own path and I might as well, uh, you know, do my own thing. And I might as well be able to like be an artist and like be creative and, I guess like, like my therapist says this a lot, like be motivated by like love and passion and excitement instead of like fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think at least for me personally, being on the road for such a long time and being on tour for such a long time and starting to see like income be able to be generated and look at this band as like a job and as a career, um, it can be empowering, but for me it was really damaging. Um, because it just like, it all of a sudden became tangled in with these things that I was supposed to be doing, you know, it it became this thing of like, you know, well, if you want to play these bigger shows, you have to do this and you have to do that. And it's really, really scary and hard to unlearn that. Um, like mom jeans does not operate in the way that a lot of bands operate. Like we do a lot of shit ourselves and we say no to a lot of things and we don't get asked to do a lot of things because of that right and that like part of that is you know we've given up any semblance of security or any semblance of like promise that you know this band is going to exist in two years or in five years and the way that i make peace of that and the way that i have to make peace of that is like knowing that i'm surrounded by people that i care about and knowing that i'm doing the thing that i love every day um and i wasn't really doing that i wasn't allowing myself to be motivated by that i was I was worrying about, you know, saving money and feeling like I had this safety net and concerned about bringing in more money than I was spending. And it, that ultimately is like not the way that I want to live my life. And it, it, it caused my relationships to deteriorate. It caused like my own happiness to deteriorate. It caused my sense of purpose to deteriorate. And it's hard to have the awareness to like recognize those things and really like see what's going on when you have to wake up and play a show. Yeah, And when you have to like get in the van and just like make a tour happen, because like ultimately 
like we were raised to be functional people and, and it's like you say you're going to do something like you fucking do it and that has always been like our bottom line as a band and we're realizing that like oh wow if we take a step back and we actually focus on ourselves and we think about what we want to do like we don't have to play anybody's game and maybe it means that we can't tour right now maybe it means we have to wait maybe it means that we can't just you know automatically be making money all the time and like feeling like we're big balling and doing everything like 24 yeah. uh-huh. seven. Um, but it's, it's going to be so much more beneficial to like the longevity of this project and the longevity of us being able to be sustainable. Cause the, the truth of the matter is that like, I want to be in this band for the rest of my life. Maybe not even this band. Like I want to make music with these people. Are they for on the, the rest same of my life with that? Yeah. We've all we've all admitted that, and I mean, see that's really hard to me, find. Yeah, it is hard to find, and the truth, and I thought I think for me, like I allowed myself to buy into the idea of like that. That meant like the the physical embodiment of that being true was like making money, and was like being quote unquote successful, mm-hmm. and being able to like I guess, I guess being afraid that if we didn't make money, and if we weren't. I guess like a culturally significant project at the end of the day, then nobody would want to be in this band with me anymore. And that nobody would want to, and that that feeling of wanting to make music together forever wouldn't exist. And we've all sat down and we've acknowledged that, that like, no, like I would much rather 50 years from now be playing in like some shitty cover band with Austin and Bart and Sam and like hanging out and drinking with them on the weekends. Like if that's, if if it's between that and like pulling in Oasis and like burning up in a gigantic ball of flames and like never talking to each other again, like I would much rather like put the band to rest or like put the idea of touring to rest because like, I don't know, you don't, you don't find people like this. You know what I mean? You don't find people like that um, very, very often throughout right. your life. And I want to keep them around. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like such a hard thing to balance. And it's like such a shitty thing to grapple with, like, ha- like making music and wanting people to hear it. But then also you have to play this shitty industry game and it just, you know, it's, it makes you feel terrible. <laughs> if they, like things are either up or they're down and most of the time they're down from some perspective and exactly it's just awful. Yep. yeah and i think it, it is it is really really hard to find that that wherewithal and that consistency and i think being able to like have that strength within yourself to like know that you're making the right choices and know that you're making the right decisions like i i don't think that's easy for any one person on this earth to do like we all wake up the next day and like feel a little bit different than we did yesterday and so like trying to to manage that and like constantly always be i guess like motivated by the right things um is is really really hard to do and i think for a long time like i didn't want to admit that i wasn't capable of doing those things without taking a break i didn't want to admit that like i needed to take time to myself to remind myself of those things um, you know, we, we, we all in this band and in this friends group, like we have a little bit of a Superman complex. Like that's totally true. I think anybody who tours and like performs and, and especially like the people who are the front people of their band that are, you know, creatively driving, writing, like we all have a little bit of a Superman complex right. in the sense of like, we, we have to, we, you know, <laughs> like how, how, how are you supposed to make it through a tour if you don't believe in yourself? Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, if you don't have that Kobe mindset of like, we're gonna be successful 
we're going to play this show. It's going to be a good show. We're going to play this tour. It's going to be a good tour because you won't survive otherwise. Yep. Um, yeah, I think people kind of like deny that when they're like, I, I always get bugged out by like, like, I don't know, hearing like Kurt Cobain or whatever say he doesn't care about fame. It's like, what? Well, I think that's a lie pretty much when any artist that's putting themselves out there says something like that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, I think it's, inter- that's an interesting standpoint because, I mean, like, I identify with that. Like, personally, like, I don't want fame. Like, fame makes me uncomfortable. Like, feeling like people know who I am without ever having talked to me, like, makes me uncomfortable. Um, however, I recognize that five years ago when I started this band, that seemed like a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a subconscious thing, and it's not necessarily, it's a little bit of like a semantics thing, it's like, what is fame, you know, but yeah, it, totally. ultimately it's like, you know, you're putting yourselves out there because you want somebody to hear, you're putting your original music out there so people will listen to it, otherwise why else are you doing it, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, for myself, like, I can identify for us, like, we just, we wanted to put out a record because we wanted to say that we were able to, to do it, like, uh-huh. we just, um, I think... I look at things as like challenges. Like at least when I see my heroes, I see people that are motivated by like, I see them doing things that I perceive as impossible and things that I perceive as like, wow, I could never do that. And I want to figure out how, and I mm-hmm. want to like feeling like I did that and feeling like I was able to, I don't know, um, like learn how to do something in that way always made me feel proud. I mean, like the band just friends was like a really big motivator for us in that sense. Because, like, I looked at it, and it was like, here's this group of kids who has no idea what the fuck they're doing at all. Like, people make fun of their band, think they sound ridiculous. I love their music. Um, But, like, they literally, they said, fuck it. They made a full-length album. It got pressed on vinyl. And they went on a tour. And those, to me, were, like, those were tangible things that it almost made it seem like if nobody listened to your band, it didn't matter. Uh Uh-huh. And I always, I was always drawn to that. I was always drawn to like the A for effort kind of vibe uh-huh. um, and being like, well, yeah, nobody listened to this, but like we made a record. We uh-huh. have 10 songs and we like how they sound. And I'm proud of that. Yeah. And it, at least for me, like it wasn't so much about getting other people to listen to our music as it was like getting from point A to point B and teaching myself that I was capable of getting from point A to point B. And I think that maybe, like I said before, like, like subconsciously, I definitely think there were pieces of me and like pieces of anybody who even are making music for like the absolute best reasons. Like there's definitely subconsciously that little bit of like, Oh, if people fuck with this, like, you know, I want to be, I want to be recognized or I want to be validated for the Mm -hmm. fact that like, this is sick because I think this is sick too. Mm -hmm. And it definitely like, again, it, it buys, you start buying into that sense of security that sense of safety if like oh it makes you feel good to know that something that you thought was sick or something that you were moved by also moves other people like that's definitely a validating experience but i think when at least for me where it started to get messy and where it started to get complicated was when the i started to feel like other people's feelings about our music or other people's response to our music was more important than my own right yeah and starting to doubt starting to doubt my own decisions and starting to doubt things that I thought were cool. And that's, you can't make good music when you're in that kind of a mindset. Or you can't make authentic music when you're in that kind of a mindset. And I think that even though, even though I am like still really proud of Puppy Love, and I still like, I still back that record a thousand percent, 
Like, I think maybe that's why it fell flat to a lot of people. And it kind of like falls flat in certain aspects to Uh us too, because like you, you can hear it in the record that we were worried about what people were going to say. And that doesn't exist in Best Buds. Right. Because yeah. I was expecting everybody to be like, this band is fucking stupid. Uh-huh. Because that's what everybody said. Everybody thought we sucked. We were a modern baseball ripoff band. I uh-huh. get it. Uh-huh. Like, they had no reason to think we were anything less than shit. Um, and that was, I don't know. It didn't sound like we were expecting anybody to listen to our music. And I think maybe that's why people connected with it a little bit. And maybe mm-hmm. why um, it kind of had that, like, bedroom underground resurgence that like made a bunch of kids that maybe shouldn't have started bands want to start bands, you know, <laughs> cause they go, Oh shit. Like I can do this too. And I don't know that to me, that to me is how I make peace with it is the fact that it's like, Oh, at least, at least we're kind of inspiring people to, to maybe like try and play music. Yeah, definitely. Like, and I want, I want to talk about puppy love and talk about like the um, reception and how you feel about it and all that. But I also want to start at the beginning. Um, yeah, sure. Which is, um, uh, what kind of like how did you get into alternative and punk music in the first place and like how old were you and when did you pick up a guitar um, Ooh, dang okay so i mean i guess like music i've always been around music i've always been interested in music um i can't tell you when it started um i think my parents were both really big fans of music but neither of them were musicians neither of them mm-hmm. were like musically inclined my dad has no rhythm um, my mom can't keep a note. It's like, yeah, but I was always surrounded by it. And I grew up listening to a lot of what I realize now is like tight ass music. I listened to a ton of ABBA. I listened to a ton of Fleetwood Mac. I listened to a ton of Bare Naked Ladies. Um, nice. I, I listened love, to a lot of Stevie B&L. Ray Vaughan. Yeah. BNL. I listened to a ton of Stevie Ray Vaughan and like my, my dad was a big collector of like live concert DVDs. Like he had like these box sets of like Austin City Limits and, um, you know, like like the Fleetwood Mac reunion um, and like Blue Man Group and like the Bon Jovi Crush Tour. Like I listened to so much Bon Jovi when I was a kid Um, and just like all of these like massive, massive rock bands and like really culturally like influential artists. And I grew up watching those things just like for fun, like on TV and like on car trips and stuff like that was what I listen to and so it was kind of natural for me for like my parents to like try and put me in like lessons um mm-hmm. so much like they tried putting me in guitar lessons and tried putting me in piano lessons and i like i just couldn't i didn't have the attention span mm-hmm. for it when i was younger like like eight nine ten years old probably um and then my family moved from the midwest i lived in illinois and wisconsin until i was like 10 years old my family moved to california um, and I started fifth grade and that's in California. That's when you start music. That's when you start like the band program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I really wanted to be in the in band in school. And I, I, I picked the trombone for whatever. I actually, I remember why I picked the trombone because like the fifth grade band teacher was like, if you want to be able to get into win ensemble and jazz band and like all these groups without having to try that hard, pick the trombone. Cause there's never enough trombone players ever. And I was like, all right, that that's, I like that. I like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. So I picked the trombone and that was, that was all I cared about for probably the next seven years. Um, was like, I was a full blown like theater kid band geek. Like that was all I did in middle school and wow. high school. Um, yeah. So 
I was in marching band. I like ate, slept, breathed marching band for the entirety of my high school career. Did like winter percussion, all of that stuff. Um, and then when it came time, like through all of that, like I was mostly just listening to jazz music and classical music uh-huh. because that's like, that was my world. Um, that was what I did in school every day. I played trombone pretty much like four to five hours every day. And then as I started like getting older, I went to high school and I started like actually like hanging out with people <laughs> a little bit yeah, and yeah. stopped being like such a shut in. And these kids in my high school that were in the marching band had a fucking ska band called Costa Nostra. Oh, of course they did. And it was, it was like the seniors and the juniors. And it was, it was, of course, like it was all the section leaders and all like the important like people from the marching band that like to like 14 year old freshmen me were like the gods of the school. And they had this fucking ska band where they, they wrote original music. And they were loud and they were crazy and they were ridiculous. And they like, they played a show in the back of a t-shirt store in like downtown Pleasanton where I grew up. And that was my first show. And I was like, this is all I want to do. This is all I want to be a part of. I just want to go to shows. That rules. And I, I stopped listening. I mean, I kept listening to jazz, but like I, I started only listening to ska music. Uh-huh. Like I only listened to Sky. I became obsessed with like Lesson Jake, Real Big Fish, Streetlight Manifesto, like anything that had an electric guitar and a trombone in it. I was obsessed with it, um, and I just listened to that. And I just I became obsessed with like starting a ska band of my own and like being in my own band and getting to basically like do what they did. Like yeah. somehow, like before I w- I was done with high school, like play a show. So what was your first band then? Um, it was a ska band. <laughs> It was a fucking ska band. I sang and I played trombone and we were horrible. And I like, I don't even want to talk about it because <laughs> it was, it was hor It was really bad. Uh-huh. Like there was like the lyrics were like misogynistic. Like we oh, were no. 14 years old and we listened to real big, Fi- like you can't listen to real big fish and less than Jake right now in 2020 and tell me that like the things they say are okay. Right. Because yeah. you know, and, it, and it's, just, it was like a different time. And, that and so kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a different era, you know, like, like fucking early 2000s, bro. Like yep. just literally being a shithead for the sake of being a shithead. And I love that. I thought that was cool. I thought that was awesome. And, uh, I really, so that was me through high school as I did all that. And as I was finishing high school, like my scouting was ending, I was starting to realize like, Oh wow. Like this isn't as cool as I thought it was. <laughs> Uh, like being in a band is definitely cool yep. and music is definitely cool, but like this genre um, and this kind of like vibe is not necessarily speaking to me the same you, way. You want the energy, but you don't want the, you want something a little more tasteful. Maybe I, I not even necessarily more tasteful, but like something with substance uh-huh. or like every, like in the same way that like, you know, I don't like people make fun of pop punk cause I don't want every song to be about getting drunk and like hating my ex-girlfriend. Right. And it's like, like Scott, like I didn't want, I was, I was tired of everything just being like a boob joke. Like you get, you grow up a little bit and you get tired of it. And you know, like, yeah, dick jokes are funny for a while and, and like for, to a certain aspect. And it's not like when you're trying to actually be authentic and like write music that you care about and I guess say something um, that you want to like actually matter to people, mm-hmm. um, you, you can't, you can't really like pick and choose. Like you can't, um, you can't make a joke out of things. You can't make a joke out of yourself if you want to be taken seriously some of the time. 
And I realized that and I decided that like, oh, I'd like to try and be taken a little bit more seriously because then I was looking at um, Sam and I was looking at his band at the time. And he was like, it was like the proto version of Just Friends, which was a band called Sam Kless Nation. <laughs> and uh, they were playing shows and he was writing really sincere, emotional, um, like music that I connected with and that I cared about lyrics all of a sudden, you know, um, in ways that I didn't before. And so towards like that, at the end of call, like high school, I was going to college and looking for some new music recommendations. I think I was like on a vacation with my family and I was bored and I was like Facebook messaging Sam um, because we'd become friends from my band playing and like this, my, my ska band played with like Sam. the early version of Sam class uh, from JF. Got it. Um, he's like the bass player in mom jeans now. Um, like I met him because my ska band played somebody's birthday party and we just like became friends instantaneously and started working together. And I saw the things that like, we weren't in a band together, but we were doing things and our bands were doing things together. And I saw what he was doing and I saw the music that he was writing and the kind of um, like the, the group and the art that he was starting to curate for himself that he was finding. And I was really inspired by it and I was really interested. And I was like, dude, like, what are you listening to? Um, you know, like what kind of bands inspire just friends? Because I've never heard music like this before. Um, and he was like, dude, like I listen to say anything and Joyce Manor. Like, those are my two favorite bands. Good bands. Yeah. And I was like, all right. So I started listening to like, I fucking put on alive with the glory of love and <laughs> my life changed. Hell yes. Like I put on that song and I was like, what the fuck? And I was hooked on, um, is a real boy. Like I was hooked on that album. Uh-huh. And then I, and I was like, oh, what can be better than this? And then I listened to the Joyce Manor self-titled. And I was like, holy, next level, holy fuck. Um, and I just like, I like, I discovered Bandcamp like that day. And I just started going through like the emo tag and the punk tag and literally clicking on every single record and listening to every single song and just like downloading everything that I could. I think I blew like 200 bucks, like just on Bandcamp music, wow. like on a random day. And I just like sat on the plane from like that vacation and just listened to music. And I remember listening to um, sports by modern baseball for the first time on the plane. And I just like started sobbing when I heard tears over beers. Wow. Um, and like, I wasn't an emotional person. Like I hadn't, I hadn't really started like my journey with like my mental health difficulties or anything yet. So like that was really new to me. Like I had never had music that made me feel like vulnerable before. Yeah. Um, like in a good way. And so I was, I was just instantly hooked. And like, from that moment on, like modern baseball became my favorite band of all time. And I just, I started learning how to play their songs and I started learning. I like, I picked up the guitar again and I started teaching myself how to play guitar. And I just like started, that became like my thing was just going on band camp every day and like searching the emo tag and seeing what new music came out. And I wanted to be the first person to listen to anything i want to be the first person to know about anything that was going on around me about it happened dude that rules um, the internet was so dope for that kind of stuff dude it was so cool like sophie's floorboard like the fucking heyday of all that shit and it was just like it was so easy was and this like early 2010s or like late 2000s this is this is like 20 2013 okay yeah. my first year of college like senior year of high school first year of college 2013 yeah that's been like the, yeah. that, i mean i guess like the emo midwest emo revival stuff was kind of petering off a little bit at that point but definitely the, I mean, the records the records that would become 
the like gold standard of the emo revival revival were all coming out at that time. Yeah. Like sports was coming out, like dads was doing their tour, like Walter Mitty and his makeshift orchestra and Hotelier, tiny parts. Hotelier? And, yeah. Hotelier. I saw the Hotelier play to 25 people in a garage in Martinez, California. Hell with yeah. a, with a, with a pop punk band. Yeah. Like that rules. Like they played a Chinatown, like Christian Holden played a set, like falling asleep off melatonin at Chinatown youth center in Fresno. Like, like I still like Bart was at that show. Like, if you look at that video on YouTube of the hotel you're playing Fresno, like, Bart was at that show. And so, like, all of that stuff was happening, and it was a really, really exciting time um, to be um, just, like, around that. And I was starting college, and Sam and, like, all these people that I looked up to and, like, my heroes from my hometown, they were all a couple years older than me. And so they were, like, in their sophomore, junior, senior year of college and, like, really, really together musically and like really putting together some cool projects like i don't know if you're familiar with the band happy diving um sounds familiar but i'm not sure yeah so happy diving is you should listen to them they're really fucking good it's a band that was started by uh, this guy called matt barry who's like one of sam's friends and they were like their third eye blind's favorite band really? <laughs> so yeah like the singer from third eye blind loves happy diving and wow. they 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 are, in my opinion, still one of the best bands that's ever existed and, and will ever exist. They're not around anymore. They're not playing shows. But, like, Matt Yanko from Just Friends was in that band. Um, oh, I recognize and, one of these guys. I'm yeah, looking, Kevin, I'm just Kevin, Kevin Proch, now the bass player of Just Friends, was in that band. Um, like, real superhero lineup. And, like, those bands were putting out their demos. And they were playing shows at, like, Bottom of the Hill to, like, nobody. And I was going to all shows. Like, I remember there was a, there was a gig at this place called The Butter Dungeon in Berkeley, like my first year of college. And it was like just friends, happy diving, um, Karoshi, and it, oh, it wasn't even Karoshi boy. It was Zisu, which was a band that later became Karoshi boy, which later became casual Friday, which is a band that's on counterintuitive now. Um, and so like, it was just like all these like superheroes of DIY, at least in my local scene, just like all coming together and just doing stuff. And I was just a spectator. Like I was just the kid that was at the shows and I just wanted so badly um, to be a part of it. And I had this feeling like deep in my gut that like I was just I wasn't good enough and I was never going to be good enough to like join their thing and like do it on their level. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to figure out how to make it work for me and how to find, I guess, people who because Happy Diving and Just Friends and those people, they didn't listen to the exact same music that I did. Again, they were all a couple years older, had a little bit more life experience. They weren't straight edge anymore. They were, you know, had different priorities. Right. And I was, I was like freshman in college, like just trying to like party and hang out. Um, and I wanted to find people who were interested in those same things. And using that kind of like watching what my friends were doing and watching what the people I looked up to were doing and kind of seeing how I could apply it to myself. I met, I met Austin and mm. that just kind of became like the foundation and the basis for everything that. I thought music is supposed to be. Yeah. So you guys started mom jeans at that point or how did you yeah, started mom jeans at that point? Um, I think we, we didn't start mom jeans. We just started like playing songs together and we okay, just started so writing something songs. Started. Together. Yeah. Something started. Well, I remember specifically like I would go into Austin's room to hang out with his roommate. I mean like freshman year of college, you all hang out with your floor mates, right? Like it's the only people, like all your friends are people that you know, because of circumstance. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it's very much in that early beginning stages of university and kind of hanging out with people just because they're around. And I would go in Austin's room to hang out with his roommate. 
to smoke what I was into at the time. And we would, you know, play like 2K and just like hang out. And Austin was a chill dude. I liked hanging out with him. So we would talk. And one day, I like he was just like playing on his computer. And I saw that he had um, the album We'll Get to It Eventually. It was like an EP by this band called Sports um, on his computer. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, how do you know about this band? Because um, like I said before, like my thing was knowing about bands that nobody knew about was like listening to like the hometown hero bands from like a small town in Michigan and like being a fan of that band and stuff. And so the fact that he had heard about this band that I only knew about because a kid I went to high school with was managing their band, the fact that he knew about them, I was like, this is crazy. And I was like, let me look at your tunes. I started like he had Joyce Manor. He had modern baseball. He had fireworks. He had weather box. That's it. He had all of these bands. And I was just like, dude, what the fuck? And then he was like, and then he showed me transit. And then he showed me stories so far. Uh-huh. And then like I showed him just friends and I showed him happy diving. <laughs> and Hell it was yeah. just like, and yeah, from then on, it was just like, I, we also connected a lot because Austin is like, he's an insane multi-instrumentalist. Like in my, like he's a savant, like he can play fucking anything that he wants to. Mm-hmm. He's better at guitar than I am. Um, he's the best drummer I've ever met in my entire life. Um, he's probably the best trumpet player I've ever met in my entire life. Um, so the fact that he like played trumpet in the jazz band and like played drums in a rock band and like wrote like noodly emo licks for us to play in our emo band was just like, I connected with that a lot. And I was like, this person is just like me. This person, you know, is into the same suit that I'm in. He was also into skateboarding, like another, like you bond super fast over that kind of stuff. And uh, it kind of, at least to me, like, as soon as I really started hanging out with Austin, I kind of knew that he was going to be a really important person in my life mm-hmm. and that I wanted to stick around him and I wanted to be around him. I wanted to spend time with him and uh, that if we, you know, kind of like made an attempt to like grow alongside each other, that um, we could possibly like have a really beneficial relationship. And so we started like writing songs together and he had like a little recording set up. Like he honestly, he still has it. It's like, he's a little Apollo like interface, like it's out in our living room right now. We recorded like acoustic demos with like a little like microphone and an acoustic guitar and a pair of headphones. And we recorded this like little crappy acoustic EP at the end of our first year of college. And it was all modern baseball ripoff songs. Like it was uh, literally modern baseball songs that I took the melodies and just like wrote new lyrics for it. That's and crazy. <laughs> Cause we wanted, well, we wanted to play shows, right? Like we just wanted to play. Um, Cause we wanted, we knew we, we wanted to get, exp- cause we wanted to meet more people. We, we wanted to find a drummer. We, cause Austin wanted, I wanted Austin to play guitar because ah. I couldn't play guitar good enough. Um, and so we needed to find a bass player. We need to find a drummer. And so we wanted to play shows to do that, to find people who liked the music that we liked. And so we made this crappy acoustic piece so we could at least like chop it around and just like send it to people. Yeah. Like, this is the band that we're like, starting. Yeah. We're, we exist. Exactly. And it's like, Nowadays, everybody knows better. Like you keep that shit on the voice memos and you don't put it on Bandcamp. Like I got, I got you. I get it. I know better now. Uh-huh. But it was like, again, like I was, I was 18 years old yeah. and I didn't think anybody was going to listen to these songs. Yeah, ever. I've, I've seen some. I've seen you guys get some heat online about the modern baseball thing. Which yeah, is no, like and, psh, whatever. Who cares? Well, it's. I was bummed because like, Bren and Jacob were bummed. And I didn't want them to feel like we were trying to profit off of them because we didn't <laughs> and we didn't want to. And like at the end of the day, like I think 
we found ourselves in the position of being like one of those first bands that really learned the hard way that you can't just like put every demo online. Yeah. And you can't because if because we weren't thinking about the long term, we weren't thinking about the future, we weren't thinking about yeah. one day like playing for even more than five people. Yeah. I think um, that's normal. And I think yeah. and I think now people like have a bigger scope of the world and a bigger scope of understanding. And as you get older, like you just know better about those things. But at the time we didn't know you get better. better like impulse control too. Cause like when you're exactly. younger and you make a song and you record it, it's like, you I just want to, you just want to put it out. I yeah. just got to show it. Yeah, uh -huh. exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like an instant gratification, which like yep. makes sense when you're 18 and like on drugs, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Exactly. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, we met, um, this other dude who was going to school with us. He was a year old. Uh, his name was Josh played bass in the jazz band and uh it's funny i i met him i i knew who he was because i watched this video of modern baseball playing a set at the dial in marietta california which is a venue that doesn't exist anymore and there's this kid in the crowd like in the video wearing a cow t-shirt which is like the school we went to and i was watching the video i was like that's that dude's in jazz band hmm. like the jazz band that i play in and i went up to him the next week in jazz band and i showed him the video i was like is this you and he was like, yeah. And no, I was like, do you, want, do you want to be in our band? And I sent him the demo and he was like, yeah. And he ended up not staying in the band because we weren't title fight. But, uh, you know, um, that shit happens. Like he works for Pandora now and he's like, Whoa. cool, dude. Um, it's, yeah. And it's That's like weird. That's a pretty cool story and, uh, though. Yeah. And one of my homies from uh, high school ended up like being our drummer for a little bit. And we recorded, basically we took those acoustic songs and we recorded them as a, as a full band. I played guitar and sang. Austin played guitar. Our friend Matt played drums and Josh played bass. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, it just like from there, it everything changed from that point on, yeah. except for Mom Jeans was just like me and Austin. And Did so we operated under that for like, I think like two or almost two or three years, just like playing shows at our college and like not really doing anything or being anything, putting out any kind of music. Uh -huh. Because at that point, the only music that we had out were modern baseball ripoffs. And at that point, we sent it out to people. And we're like, oh, you want to book us a show? And when they were like, no, fuck you. Your band sucks. You're just ripping off other people. And so we didn't record anything or like put anything out until we had music that we really thought was our own and was like actually original that we could stand behind as being original. And that eventually became Best Buds. Okay. So, yeah, in between doing the modern baseball rip, you realize this isn't working and you start writing uh, your own songs. Uh, for best buds well i mean i mean the goal was always to write our own songs like that was always the end goal to right. write but, original music and right. to be in that but i i saw i basically i think i saw those modern baseball songs as like a kind of shortcut as like mm -hmm. this is a way to show people what we sound like and like this is what the songs that we're working on are going to be like I and see. we play live like this is the vibe that you're going at because like we don't have original songs right now because we're working on so original at song. what point did we you... want to play them live to work on them did you guys start gaining traction? Did you guys start gaining traction before Best Buds came out as you were playing no, shows? Not or at after? all. No. Uh, way after, probably six months after. Okay. So let, tell yeah. me, tell me about how Best Buds was recorded and like what was going on then. Cool. Um, so yeah, we we kind of like you know we we'd been doing this like band thing for like two 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 years i guess and we had just been playing shows like at our college just like playing shows at frats like playing shows at co-ops just like essentially like trying to get like beer money and it was fun and it was cool and this was around the time that uh, just friends put out rock to the rhythm 
which was their mm-hmm. like first LP. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I still remember like the, I remember that that the day that album came out, like I was sitting in my room, it was summer in between my sophomore and junior year of college, I think, or my junior and senior. I can't remember. Um, but it was, I was sitting in, in my room at like the fucking frat house that I was like renting room in, in Berkeley. And I listened to the album and I just, I couldn't, I could not believe that people that I knew had made record. Uh-huh. Like I, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Um, like I was, I, I was, I was so moved. Um, and there's, if you listen to that album, the last song, Just Friends is never going to play any of these songs again, but. The last song on that album is called Dublin, California. And Sam has this like little speech that he does like during the trombone solo at the end. And he was just like, this one, it goes out to our, our family, everybody who never, never thought we could do this. Like this one's for you. Like we fucking did it, baby. And it's, it's like, it's, it's like the end of the movie, like the credit scene, you know, and big cheer. I was just like, like that, hearing that changed my life and being like, you can, holy shit, like you can do that. I didn't know you could, you could do that, that that was possible. Um, and I was, I was just like, I was really inspired and I was really motivated and Austin felt the same way. And I was just like, dude, this is what I want to do. And like nobody, nobody was listening to Just Friends. Like nobody was paying attention to that band. I saw what they did. I saw the record that they made and that they were going to go on a tour and say, fuck it and try it out. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's what I want to do. I want to make a record. Because I didn't know that I could, that we could do that. Mm-hmm. I want to make a record and I want to go on a tour. Two things that I previously thought were completely impossible for somebody like me to do. Mm-hmm. And that became, that became our goal. And that was, I think, that yeah, that was the beginning of our junior year of college, third year of school. Um, and we were just like, we had a handful of songs. I think maybe we had like half of the album written. And it, was, it wasn't like we were consciously writing for an album. Like uh-huh. we were just writing songs and like build kind of like a stand-up comedian does. Like we were just like building a set, kind of. Yeah. Just like you know, one song, two song, three song, five songs, and we eventually had like seven or eight songs, and a couple of the old modern baseball songs. And we were like, "All right, fuck it. Like let's let's record and like let's record some songs and do it." And I think we had a day where Austin and I like demoed out <clears throat> some stuff and again like at home like very bedroom style. And we were pretty happy with the songs and we, uh, we realized that like we could, if we, if we just like got rid of everything that was even closely reminiscent to like being inspired by another band or like related to another band, like we could make an album that maybe not, I don't know, not that it like compared to like rock to the rhythm, but was like on the same tier as far as like originality mm-hmm. and like artistry. Mm-hmm. And I think we made the conscious decision that like we wanted to do that. And, you know, through this time we had met, uh, we had met Bart by this point, um, by playing shows with his old band, meet me in Montauk. Um, we had become closer friends with just friends by this point. We had, uh, we'd been introduced to Ryan by this point. Um, just because we were all kind of just like playing shows together and Ryan going Ellery. to each other's shows. Yeah. Ryan Ellery, the, um, the producer. and <clears throat> yeah, Ryan, uh, engineered, uh, and mixed all of rock to the rhythm. Um, and so we started talking to Ryan and we were like, Ryan would maybe be interested in helping us make a record. And at that time, I don't think Ryan had really, um, made a record on their own before they were working at, and I don't want to say, cause this may not be factual, so I don't want to speak for Ryan. Um, but 
Ryan was working at the Panda Studios at the time, like working under Sam Pura, and was essentially like not getting treated super well and was kind of, you know, at the liberty of the studio as to what they could do and um, what they were able to accomplish. And we really wanted to give Ryan, like we saw what Ryan did with Rock to the Rhythm and we said, hey, can we kind of like scale this down maybe and do like one day at the studio just to get the drums sounding really, really nice and like make the rest of the album at your house because he had a console and like a record recording kind of like mini setup at his dad's house. And uh, Ryan was like, yeah, sure, let's try it out. So we, um, we, booked, we booked one day at Panda Studios and we recorded all of the drums and all of the bass for Best Buds. Wow, uh, one, day. one day. Austin, Austin did the drums for Best Buds in two hours. Holy crap. Yeah, That's wild. It was, it was unreal. And I mean, we didn't know any better. We were just trying to save money because mm-hmm. it was like, we were like, oh, and we didn't even use the nice room, bro. We used the tiny crappy room at Panda East that we could get for 150 bucks a day. Um, we, yeah, we borrowed Sam Pura's bass amp without asking uh, <laughs> and used that to DI all of Gabe's bass. And um, yeah, and you know, we just I mean, did that. And we, we finished I, that day. I wouldn't yeah, we finished that day, and it was funny when we were like, all right, so this is great. Like, we got so much more done than we thought we were going to get done today. Like, and this was, I think, like second or third week of February in 20, uh, 2016. And, and, he, and Ryan was like, well, I'm busy till April. Like, I'm booked. <laughs> I have <laughs> sessions. Like, we didn't talk about booking in advance. Like, so we basically we had to sit on those uh, drum and bass tones for like two months. Damn. And I just practiced along to that because I knew I was shit at guitar. And I, I did all of the guitars on Best Buds. Um, and that was really scary for me, really hard. And so I just practiced to those for like two months. And then we came back and we recorded um, guitars in I think like two or three days at Ryan's house. And then we recorded all the vocals in like a day at Ryan's house. And then um, we sat in Ryan's uh, room for another three or four days and mixed the record. Like me and Austin sat there and mixed it with Ryan. Um, just told them what to do, basically. Told them how to press the buttons, what we wanted it to sound like. Wow. Um, and at the end, and Ryan sent it off and got it mastered by James Travaskis for like ten bucks a song. Um, and I think we spent, I think we spent eleven hundred bucks in total. Wow! Making best buds. That's start to finish. That's great. Like three or four sessions. Yeah. And, and all of that was an even really like of that 150 bucks was paying for a room. Like all the rest of it was Ryan's time and James's time. And yeah, it's, so it's crazy. You, 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 <laughs> how soon after does it release after you've recorded it? So I think we, I think we've, I think we got our masters back in June. Was there and, any sort of like, was there any sort of like intention or like, did you understand like album cycles at that point, or were you just like you get it back Fuck and put no. it out? Did you even tour? Fuck no, it was. I mean, we we were like, all right, we got an album, so like let's uh, let's book a tour, like let's try to book a tour. Um, so I booked a tour. Like Bart helped me book a really bad like through like two week tour where half the shows dropped, um, and we missed half the shows because our van broke down. Like nice. classic, yep. but like we did it. Like we, I mean, at that point, like we weren't thinking about an album rollout because like dog we'd accomplished the goal yeah like we did it we had the album and we were going on the tour like there was nothing else to do like who like i don't know thinking about like <laughs> who was going to listen to it uh-huh. like we were done 
the goal was accomplished. And that's what, like, it, some people might, I don't know, I don't want them to get offended when I say, like, everything that this band does is, like, gravy for me. Because, like, that was the only goal that I ever had for Mom Jeans, was to put out that album and go on that tour. And we did that in June of 2016. So where, so, where, where, where yeah. is the connection between releasing it and it becoming popular and touring a lot? Like, what, in my mind, I can't, I'm not making, like, the connection of the in-between space there. You know? Yeah, I mean, me neither. We just we just wanted to do it. So, like, I think it wasn't, like, as far as, like, listenership and, like, fans and people, like, liking our music, we had nothing. We just had friends. We had people that we had met. We had bands that we had put up. We had people that we had booked shows for, played for. We were kind of, like, the embodiment of that band where, like, you hate their music, but, like, you fuck with them as people. Uh-huh. So you always see them. And like, that's always been, you know, big guiding principle for like me and me, like meeting bands and stuff. I'm like, honestly, I don't care what your band sounds like as long as you're cool. Yeah. Right. And we'd always tried to be really nice people and like really accommodating and really attentive and really present whenever we meet people and like really try to listen and find out how to validate them and how to validate their art. And so when it came time for us to book a tour and it came time for us to like ask people to basically, you know, like do us a solid, um, we had 10 or 15 people that were willing to book us a, a show and see how it went. And I think every single one of those shows, um, the, the album had been out for maybe like two weeks. I think the album released on July 4th, um, 2016. And I think a week or two later, we went on the tour. And the most people that we played for on any given night on that tour was probably 15 people. Uh-huh. Um, and we just played places that Just Friends had played. We played places that Meet the Montauk played. We played like Bellingham, Washington. Um, we played a house show in Portland. Uh, we played in Redding, California. We played um, played like five Bay Area shows. Like it was ridiculous. Played Santa Rosa. We played uh, Stockton. Like we played every town that we could think of where someone that we knew had a band and would be willing to book the show. And we just did that because we wanted to. Because I just I wanted to be like I was watching tour documentary. I was. I was FaceTiming Sam while he was on tour with just friends and I wanted to be there and I wanted to experience that. And, Oh, I guess I hadn't mentioned this. Like I had gone on tour before with just friends Uh filling in and playing trombone in their band. So this is where I get, that's where that drive of like, Oh, I can do this. Like this is possible came from. Yeah. And so I, I basically, I took all those experiences that I had with just friends of like, literally like I called myself the me too. Cause I've just, I was like, me too. Like, I want to go uh-huh. like, you guys are going to this, sh- like you guys are driving down to LA for the weekend to play a show. Like me too. Like, can I come space in the van? Like, let me go. And I took all those experiences and all those things that I learned from Sam and from JF and applied them. And we had, uh, on paper, a horrible tour, but I had the <laughs> yeah. time of my fucking life. Yeah. At what point like, did you start driving now? across? <laughs> what was that? Go ahead. Driving across. I was going to say, it was like driving across California in the dead of July in like a 30-year-old van with no air conditioning that's overheating. Like it sucked, but it was also, it was awesome because we were doing the thing for real and nobody had helped us. Right. Yeah. So at what point did you like start notice noticing your audience growing? I think, so while we were on that tour, that summer tour in July, um, we broke down in Bellingham, Washington, and we were waiting to get our van fixed. And um, Bart was not in our band at the time, but he was still playing with Meet Me in Montauk, um, and he was starting to make music as grad life. And 
he we had been talking about trying to do a mom jeans and meet me together um like we really really wanted to do that thought it'd be really fun and so we thought about trying to uh you know make that happen and we had been booking a tour like basically like a two-week tour that was essentially the same route that we were currently doing but just with two mom jeans and meet me a montauk we're gonna go to vegas which we hadn't gone to before and we're gonna go to phoenix which we had to before. just like spread out a little bit and um we were booking that while we were doing our first tour and because we had such a good time on our first tour like we had so much fun that we just wanted to go on tour again mm-hmm. and like playing playing to five people every night like that was fine like yeah. i was gucci because we came home and we didn't we i think we we each lost like 50 bucks and I was like, that's fucking worth it. Like, I would have spent more than 50 bucks if I was at home for two weeks. Uh-huh. So um, we, were, we booked that tour immediately when we got home and we're down to do it. You know, we took like a week off of school and just like said fuck it and just wanted to go on tour for fun. Just like as a little vacation for us. And on that tour, there, was, there were people there. There were like people at the shows. Like we played program in Fullerton and it was like packed. Huh. And we played in Phoenix for like the first time ever. And there's like 35 people there. Um, and we played like, we played Salt Lake city, Utah to like 50 people. And we like, which mom jeans still has trouble drawing 50 people to Salt Lake city. Like, like, like it was, it was crazy. And at that time, like we weren't expecting anything like that. Like we were just going cause we thought we were going to have fun and play some shows. And it was like, we got there and all of a sudden there was like people there and at that time, I kind of rationalized it as like, well, we're playing better band. We're, we have better friends. You know, we've, we've been here once before. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, you know, we're making an impression. I didn't realize it because people were listening to our album. And around that time, I think maybe getting back from that tour, um, Bart had been working with Counterintuitive Records and talking to Jake. And Jake was pressing the Grad Light EP and was putting that out on tapes. And Bart sent Jake the Mom Jeans record. And Jake offered to press Best Buds on vinyl, uh-huh. and kind of the rest is history. So did it? Catch like by up? that point, it was like it was all around that same time. I think maybe even Jake was the one who posted Best Buds to um, like our listen to this. Yeah, but somebody posted like the full because we when we did this, like I made sure that we got everything on Spotify and on Bandcamp and like on SoundCloud and whatnot, just because like I've always been a believer that if you're going to make an album, put it out like you'd at least put it on every form that you can because nobody's going to listen to it if they can't find it yeah right like you should make it as easy as possible you should make it as accessible as possible to be able to find your if they want to um that's just a, like a belief that i have and through doing that um we realized that like a lot of people were finding it and like there was a full album stream on youtube a youtube video and like somebody posted 100 oh, um broke up in and that yeah. And that was crazy. And that was, that was insane. That was like, at that point, that was more people than I ever thought would ever listen to our band. Yeah. So on, at some point it like catches on, on Reddit and 4chan. Were you keeping track of that kind of scene at that point? Were you online looking at those? I didn't uh, know what, boards? I didn't know what our email was. I didn't, I, I'm never been a Reddit person. I, um, I'm, I have, to, I have difficulty like with things that like aren't tangible. Like, I need to be able to hold shit in my hands for me to be able to wrap my brain around it. Uh, so, like, Reddit and, like, message boards and kind of, like, these, like, Discord-like server-type things have never made a whole lot of sense to me because it's really hard for me to, like, pick out who's saying what. Right. Um, but I, it was... You don't have to understand how Reddit works to, like, know when something's popping off on Reddit. 
Yeah, um, right. And it was clear that it was popping off on Reddit. And like I was, I was just, I was in school. I was like going to college, and I was like, I was like in, and like Jake from CI was like texting me and stuff. And I think this was around the same time when the mom jeans, like when the Best Buds vinyl pre-orders were getting announced. And so this, it's really interesting because like Jake didn't even like hit us up as in like, oh, like mom jeans is getting popular. I want to press this record and like try and make money off of it. That wasn't the vibe at all. Like Jake loved our album. Mm-hmm. He he tells me to this day like Best Buds, like I'm proud of the fact that Best Buds is one of his favorite albums. Mm-hmm. And he he put it out because he heard it and he believed in it. And like again, like that's a guiding principle for me and the people that I work with. I want to work with people who like believe in us and believe in our music. Yeah, or, or not believe in the number. And uh, it was clear that um, when the vinyl pre-order like got announced, like Jake was surprised, like he was shocked. I think we we sold out of test presses like in an hour, and we sold I think like a hundred or two hundred records on like the first day, like pre-sold a hundred or two hundred records on the first day of it being up, which was like unheard of because it was like a two hundred and fifty record press. So we we essentially almost sold out like the first press of Best Buds like as it happened. Yeah, that and is that was kind of the insane. that was kind of the moment where it was like, oh shit, this might be a thing. And then again, like we had another tour booked because like every time we did a tour, like we just when we got home, we booked the next tour. That's what we did because we liked going on tour so much and we just wanted to have that fun. Um, and so we had another tour coming up, and it was our first full U.S. tour. Cause that was again, like that was the next step for us. It was like, okay, well we did the West coast and like that's cool. And we didn't die. So like, I want to go to Philly. I want to go to the Mecca. Like I want to go to Texas. I want to go to Michigan. I want to play in Illinois. Like I want to go to these places and I want to, I want to go meet these bands that I've been listening to for three, four years and, and like go be friends with them. And so we booked like a full U S tour with that band sports that I mentioned like a while back. And they became like really good friends. Like we did that tour and on that tour, it it became increasingly clear that like it wasn't slowing down and that things were just like kind of getting more ridiculous. Like I printed all of our own merch for that tour, like myself at home. Like I bought a shirt press and like I made all of our own merch and we sold out of the merch that I made for the whole tour on the second day. And we had to like buy shirts on the road and buy merch and do all this stuff that we never that like we got told wouldn't happen yeah you know people were literally telling us like don't buy too many shirts yeah i mean don't buy too many tapes this is one thing you know if people like don't give you credit for the music they have to give you credit for doing something that just doesn't happen anymore in the music industry which is like starting from scratch and growing a grassroots audience that supports you and buys all of your shit <laughs> like yeah buying all of your vinyl records at that capacity just doesn't happen but it did for you guys yeah and i think maybe if like thinking about like kind of what you were saying a little bit earlier and kind of like having this app to like show people your music and wanting to have them respond to it i think we had a a very like i guess like niche kind of attitude where we would show up and it was like yo if you don't like this band like, fine. Like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But we, we had this attitude of just, like, just give us a chance, bro. Mm-hmm. Just, like, like literally listen to the first song. Mm-hmm. Just, like, stand there and listen to the first song. And if you hate it, 
go outside and smoke a cigarette and I will never hold it against you. I'll pack up my shit and I'll, and I'll go and I'll never come back. Do you think that attitude kind of like played a part in your stage presence? Cause you guys always had a very, you and still do have a very energetic, you know, commanding stage presence. No, at the time I was extremely uncomfortable and super quiet and like vulnerable. And oh, like, really? I still, I still kind of like, for me, like the jumping around and being loud and crazy on stage is a defense mechanism. Um, because like, I ultimately don't feel comfortable with that many people watching me. Mm. Um, and I feel like if I do something that is active and animated, um, then they're not thinking about what's going on in my head. They think they know what I'm thinking and it's a lot easier for them and it's a lot more comfortable. And then rather than, I guess, like trying to dive into my mindset or like get in my head, like people just kind of accept what's happening in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, or like we would kind of show up and we'd be like, Hey, we're this band mom jeans. Like, we're really stoked to be here. Like, I never thought that this would ever happen. Like, we are just fucking hyped. Like, I hope you like our music. If not, that's cool. Like, let's smoke a J afterwards. Like, I want to meet you. And, like, I just... Friends. And it seemed to, like, work with people and it seemed to respond. And, like, looking back, we got to play with a lot of really, really awesome bands. Like, we played... Like, our first show in Brooklyn was with Nervous Dater and Max Seal. Like, that's fucking super sick. Um, you know, we played, uh, played in Chicago with like sports played, we just played a lot of like really cool places. And like, we played, uh, uh, killers tacos in like Denton, Texas and had like hundred there, which is like not something that had ever happened there. And it was, I don't know, it, it just felt special and it felt, it felt like that people really, really want. And I think maybe because I had been raised at least seen in california i've been raised being super like viscerally aware of the fact that people don't owe you shit mm -hmm. people do not have to listen yeah if you aren't good sit the fuck down and make space for somebody who is yeah yeah because like that's that's just the cali bay area mentality and i've seen so many bands that that changed the way that i think about music and the way that i interpret playing the guitar who never got their day and I'm yeah. sure you feel the same way about Michigan bands. I'm sure Philly people feel the same way about Philly bands. Like every individual scene has their own, you know, graveyard of fallen heroes that never got. But California has almost been like the capital of that for me. Bands like Summer Vacation, like bands like Lear, um, like bands like Blowout, like all these Lauren Records bands and like, like, like Walter Mitty and his make sure they still haven't gotten their fucking day. Yeah, and it's wild people that have never gotten the record like diners still hasn't gotten their effort. Like all these people that inspired me to start writing this music, like they never had their day and their music is incredible. Their art Why is, do you pure, think that is, is fantastic that they because, pe because people are dumbasses. And honestly, <laughs> like there is, nobody knows how this works. Like, I don't even know how this mom jeans thing works. Like, it really just happens. I can't tell you why people respond to, like, our band and don't respond to others. Like, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. It makes me uncomfortable yeah. a lot of the time. And I think being super aware of that, um, knowing that nobody has to be here, I like, going and playing those shows and the fact that there was, like, 10 people in, 10 people in the state of, that could have been anywhere that night and they decided to be in like this sweaty basement like was called mom jeans and they were singing along that was the other thing too it's like people were singing along like they weren't just standing there they were singing along they knew the music and that was not something that i had really expected or experienced before um 
and it was kind of yeah it, it felt like something special was happening and not because it was clarity or because oh, there was there i just I felt like it was special because bit. there was anybody oh sorry but it felt special because it, nobody had to be there at all and that that enough was a reason to keep touring and to keep trying to play shows um and they just got bigger and yeah. every time we came back to a city there was more people there um and it slowly started to get to the point where we couldn't just like wing it anymore. We had to start expecting. We we couldn't we couldn't sell ourselves short. We couldn't like underdog ourselves because it was it was affecting people's ability to have fun and it was affecting people's safety. Yeah, I mean that's like a, re- a weird responsibility to have to like care about people's have to care about people's like physical safety at your show. And I mean, and that's I mean something that I've always been a like people can talk shit on us for that like a lot of young kids like like our we have like a pretty young crowd and in a way like i'm proud of that because i think that young kids are like a really great lit test like what's cool and mm-hmm. what's exciting and what's for interesting sure. and the same token of that is like i remember being that kid like we talked about me being at that first show still there yeah yeah yeah, we talked about me being at that first show, you know, and experiencing that. And I kind of had a, a wake up call where I realized that, like, we are that band for some of these kids, where this is their first show that they've ever been to. And I think if I had been treated differently, and if I, if people had not cared about my safety, and if people had not cared about me having a good time and me learning how to take care of the people around me in that environment, I may not have been drawn to it in the way that I. Because, like, the Scott scene and, like, being in the shows, like, it wasn't the music that really drew It was the energy. Mm-hmm. It was the... It was the sense of community. And if I... You know, if people hadn't really, like, tried to share that with me or be, be gentle with that with me, like, I may not have ever become a musician, you know? Or it may not have ever really tried to... And I feel that sense of responsibility to just try and make things safe and try and make things comfortable. And try and show, I guess, a kid who might be going to their first show at a mom jeans gig, like what I think their first show is supposed to be like. Right. Yeah, I mean that's really important, and I think that's very cool that you recognize that as like a important thing. Um, when did what what point does puppy love start forming in your mind as like the next thing to do? And like, was what was the intention behind it? And like, what were your thoughts going into that process? Um, honestly, it was really, we, it was all best buds all the time. Like that was the only thing, like it was just tour, 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 tour. That was the only thing that I thought about for the entirety of 2016, the entirety of 2017. Um, I just wanted to play shows. I wanted to play shows with bands that I liked. I wanted to play shows with new bands, with old bands. I wanted to try and get on a tour with a band that like I looked up to, like it was literally just all about trying to play as many shows as possible. And I wasn't really thinking about new music or like writing. Uh, Like we put out that split with grad life as kind of just like, you know, a fun little like thing that we were doing on the side as Mm -hmm. like new songs that Austin and I have been working on. But I didn't really like, I honestly, I didn't have a reason to write in a way. 
mm-hmm. because like the reason I wrote Best Buds was so we could put out an album and go on a tour. And like we had the album when we were and we didn't need another album to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And Best Buds alone was giving us like a lot of traction. Like we 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 did a lot bring on that album. Like mm-hmm. in a way it feels like we're still kind of touring on that album. <sighs> yeah. And so Puppy Love kind of just became this this thing that I had and that we had to write. Right. It's like you open your eyes touring. one day and it's like, oh, shit, we got to write another album, I guess. People want another album. Well, and to be honest, like, I got caught up and I got, like, for a long time, like, it's kind of embarrassing to say, but, like, other bands that were and are in the same realm as Mom Jeans as far as just, like, size, like, made me feel intimidated. It made me feel insecure. Like, like no hate to, uh, to Eric and Steven, but... Like, it made me feel insecure that so well. Because in a way, it makes you feel like, you know, well, if people start caring about Remo Drive a lot, like, maybe they won't have time to care about my band. Wait, and, can you, you know, repeat, if we end who, up... Can you repeat Eric and who? Eric and Steven from Remo Drive. Okay. Sorry, I broke up as you were saying that. Oh, it's all good. But, uh, yeah, Eric and Steven Paulson, like, super, super nice guys, like, really incredible musicians, great band. Um you know, like seeing them be successful, like in a way, it made me feel insecure because, like, they feel like, you know, you 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 buy into this idea that there's space in the music scene, limited it's only space, enough, yeah, like mental capacity, yeah. And honest with you, like that's not true. There's room for it. And yeah. if if you feel insecure by another band, use it as fuel. Go home and practice. Use it as motivation to write better songs. Yeah. You waste your energy trying to take that space away from the other bands. Yeah, use and it as fuel. I was, yeah. yeah you, like, I was getting you, insecure. You got to use it as fuel. You got to like ignore it when it comes up and realize, oh, I got to do the opposite and be supportive, even if it feels like I don't want to. And then I, the third thing that I've been trying to tell people lately and something that I realized uh, not long ago was that there's no need to be insecure or jealous or anything because the playing field isn't even, you know, it's not like, it's not like everybody starts with the same resources or the same network or, you know, it's like not an even playing field. So it's like, of course, somebody might be further or more successful than you. And it doesn't mean that you suck, you know, there's so many reasons for it. Yeah. It's, I think, and I allowed myself to get, and like see what a lot of these other bands that were doing like and honestly it's kind of as basic as just the fact that like bands that had put out albums around the same time as we had put out best buds were starting to put out other albums they were starting to put out lp2 mm-hmm. they were starting to put out lp3 like not a great n- name drop but like at the time like pine grove was like like the golden children of diy mm-hmm. and they were you know they were putting out albums like like crazy um, you know, like, uh, like Prince Daddy was working on another album, like all bands, like we're just like really starting to put out a lot of music and a lot of really good music. And I just, I felt insecure about the fact that like Best Buds was the only thing that we were standing on and we were getting tired of playing the songs. We were getting tired of play- like, I'm still tired of playing Death Cup. Like I'm going to play it, but like, is it, is it what I look forward to doing when we go up and play a set? Like n- not at all. Um, and so we were getting tired of playing the same songs. Like everybody was starting to get a little bit bored and 
there was kind of like, then we started talking to side one dummy and like Jamie and side one, like started becoming part of the discussion and they wanted to talk to us. And then it was like, all of a sudden these people had interest in us for our next album, but we had never even thought about what the next album was or what it was going to be. So the like puppy love really became a thing before we wanted it to. And before I even like really needed it to become a thing. And it just started becoming this like weird enigma of like, we have to have LP two and like, we need to have it. And to a certain extent, like it basically got to the point where it's like, we can't tour again. We can't headline again until we have a new album, which is I'm learning now. Like that's called an album cycle. Like that's what you do. (laughs) But we had never, we had never conceptualized an album cycle before because best buds wasn't put out with that intention. And now we kind of like found ourselves like under these new contexts and this new kind of way of operating. And we really didn't, we never sat down and like thought about it and talked about what we wanted as a band. Because like, again, we were like 21 years old and just trying to enjoy the ride. And like I said before, you know, talking about money and talking splits and all that stuff, like it makes, it makes me uncomfortable. Like, yeah. I just want to focus on playing shows. It fun. really is a game, isn't it? I mean, the album cycle it is. idea. It's a fucking game. It's a fucking it's game. Like there are and... these rules, and, like, you got to follow these rules if you want to participate. And it's not about exactly. just natural, art, organic, whatever happens. You know, it's like, oh, it's an industry. Exactly. And so Side One became part of the picture, and we were basically, we were looking at signing, like, 50-50 deal with Side One Dummy. And, like, we were going to be giving up streaming money, which is something we'd never done before. We were going to be... Um, you know, splitting profits with like a record label in a way. Um, because like we we own streaming like digitally. Like I do not give up my streaming. Mm-hmm. Like that is my bar none. We yeah. don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anybody should do that. Um, that's just like a belief that I have. And yeah, I remember that, you telling um, me that like the streaming... and side one wasn't down with that. They weren't down with that, and it was just it was this really really weird. And again, it became this conversation of stability. The idea of signing to a record label, um, of having somebody that was going to make sure that your album sold, that was going to make sure that they got their fucking invested, so you were going to get some too. The idea of that, it provided this like kind of semblance of security. And like again, we didn't know what we were doing. We about it. I didn't think about money. I didn't want to. I didn't want to make an LLC. I didn't want to corporatize. I didn't want hire people i didn't want to do taxes i didn't want to do any of that shit i just wanted to play shows mm-hmm. i just wanted to gig and uh so we were like all right yeah we'll sign we'll sign the side one dummy like sure sounds good uh we're kind of dragging our feet on the paperwork and then one day just like side one dummy collapsed and just like stops being a label why did i um, not hear about that that it was it was they were really quiet about it um and honestly like to this day nobody really knows what happened um wow but Essentially, like all I needed to know and all I needed to hear was that like Jamie Coletta and Christina Johns got fired. They got laid off. And those were the people that I wanted to work with. Those were the people that I trusted. Uh Jamie Jamie was going to be like our point person, was going to roll out our album for us. Christina was going to do all the art, was going to do all the merchandise. And then, yeah, there was another person too, Kevin, um, who was going to handle basically like stuff. And I liked those people. We had met with those people. Those were that was our crew. That was our team. And the owners fired them on a whim one day. Like Jamie went into work thinking that she was gonna like going to work one day and just like got laid off. Um and it's not really like my place to know because there's like we hadn't signed our contract yet or anything. And so we kind of got out of the whole thing scot free. Yeah, you dodged like, a bullet. They, 
yeah, we dodged a huge bullet. Um, you know, luckily, like they paid, they agreed to pay Henderson's lawyer fees. Like Henderson Cole, like was doing our negotiation, was like helping us with our legal stuff. So they paid our legal fees for the thing that we had been, you know, this contract. Um, I believe that a lot of the artists that were on side one got their um, stuff like that. Um, but it basically it boiled down to the fact as like we were going to have all this support behind LP2. We were going to have all this money. We were going to have, um, you know, we weren't going to have to pay for it ourselves. We were like, we were going to get handed a check for $10,000 to go do whatever we wanted with it with Ryan in the studio and go crazy. And all that like stopped being a and it stopped existing. Um, like essentially overnight. Um, and we still had to, so we had to rework the plan, and so the plan became uh, all gas, no brakes. Get out, uh, like, f- write an album, like, write 10 songs as fast as you fucking can, record, learn them and record them as fast as you fucking can, and get it out and on the road as fast as you fucking can, um, and, and as cheaply as you can. Um, and that's, and that's what we had to do, and that's what we did. And uh, I still think that, like, I don't know, looking at the circumstances that we were under, like, Puppy Love is 100%, like, the best album. Like, is the best album we could have made at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not, I'm not embarrassed by that at all. Were, and were I, you, I know that people still like those songs. Were you happy with like it, when it when it first came out? Like, Yeah, I was super happy with it. Absolutely. Are you, because you, it's you like, still are. I was the only one that I was trying to please. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, that album bangs, bro. Yeah, Shit I like it. Tight. I think it's like good. Austin, Austin, like we got some of the best drum tones that I think have ever been accomplished on <laughs> like a, a self-recorded record. Like, I'm so proud of the fact that like, and it just it encompasses like such an important time in my life, at least from like a writing perspective. And there's so many things about that album that were like firsts for us that that we had never really thought about before. And that we had, like, we tried new things and we tried, we aimed for a level of quality on Puppy Love that we didn't even know existed with Best Buds. And I'm super proud of, the, proud of us for, like, trying. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it all hit the mark. I know for, from at least my contributions, like the songwriting aspect, I didn't do as good of a job as I could have, mm-hmm. obviously. Like, not everything hit the way that I thought that it would mm-hmm. and the way that it hits for me. But like that's what happens when you make an album for yourself and then share it with people. And I think I failed to like really decide whether or not I was making an album for myself or whether I was making an album for the people who liked our band. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I refused to decide. And right. I think it falls in a little bit of a middle ground. And I think that's why it's hard to wrap your head around for some people. Yeah. It because just... I think Best Buds, like I know bar none, that album was written for me. I can right. say that with 100% certainty. I didn't write that album for anybody else. Um, Puppy Love, I can't really say that. I know that I was influenced by thinking what other people were going to have to say about it. And I don't know, moving forward, going in the future, I've learned that like, for me to be happy and for me to, um, I guess, be comfortable putting out music in the future, like me and my band are the only people that I want to impress and the only people I want to think about. I think that's a good move. Um I don't want to open any wounds, but did you see what Anthony Fantano said about it? I did, yeah. I mean... How does that type of stuff make you feel? It 
it makes I mean it makes me feel defensive because what I want to say uh, to that is just like dude check the streaming numbers bro <laughs> like all right <laughs> like more people have listened to my songs and have watched his videos yeah or, or at least you know like on a case-by-case basis uh-huh. and but at the end of the day like I don't know that dude makes money by talking shit on people so right. I I it's not really like he's not a real person and like if i ever met him like i'd tell him he's a piece of shit to his face and probably be all petty but like ultimately i don't know it can't you can't let that like influence you and i think for a long time like all of us are guilty of this myself and austin especially like we refused to kind of like stand our ground we tried to care a little bit about what people are saying yeah like we read we read the comments and, and we bought into the shit that people were talking and you can't you can't really do that right like you really can't like i i think you there's a level of self-awareness and you have to make sure that you're being ethical and you're being responsible and i think having people that you trust to be like a litmus test for that is super important but that those people are not the kids on twitter commenting on your photos those kids are not that's it's not the people that follow you on instagram or the people that comment on the youtube videos that are that that can be that litmus test for you like it needs to be your friends. It needs to be your family. It needs to be the people that you trust. And like for me, those people are like Corey from P daddy and Jade and Sam and like artists that I look up to and I respect. And I say, I'm willing to be vulnerable and ask, you know, like I feel weird about this thing or this decision that I'm making, you know, like what is your opinion? Not going on our email and seeing what like the fucking Dorito fingers kids have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, That's super difficult, and I think the critical reception side of the biz is very scary. Um, But I think you guys, you know, what matters is you guys, your fans like the album, and you like the album, and who gives a fuck what anybody else has to say? Exactly, and at least for me, at the end of the day, like, we're the ones that have to play the song. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that have to do the tours. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that, we're the ones that have to live with our name attached to this stuff. Like, we're the ones that that own it and so ultimately like as long as we're happy and we're we're you know i feel like it's a it ultimately just becomes this like decision that you have to make and you have to realize like what's important and you have to understand that um you know you just have to do things uh for yourself and have to feel like um you know i don't know that you know who you are you you know what your purpose is and you have to stay true and I think sometimes I allow myself to like lose sight of that and to buy into this, you know, these alternate ideals and it's like, nobody's perfect and it's really challenging to, you know, keep a straight head. But I know that I have people to always bring. And I try to use that as like a guiding principle. It yeah. helps me most of the time. I think you're doing a great job, man. I don't know how I would handle the, like, I don't know, popularity on that level where it's like almost like a love-hate thing that you guys have where a lot of kids love you and then a lot of people like, you know, snub their nose at you. So I don't know. I think you guys are doing a pretty good job with all said and done. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, it it is what it is. And like, I'm still walking my shoes. So like, I need to make decisions that I know I'm going to be happy with. And ultimately, like... I know that I'm a good person and I know that I don't want buddy. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's, that's just a part of it, is knowing that for yourself. And it's a process and it comes every day. And I think at least for me, like it used to make me 
scared and they used to make me feel like I was never but like kind of leaning into that and accepting that um, in the past like years really empower ultimately it means that I can't really maybe connect with people the way that they connect but I, I, I still can connect with people in some way I don't want to take up all your, all your time but um, what's up with it's the new album I heard it's called Sweet Ooh. Tooth is it still called Sweet Tooth I'd like to call it Sweet Tooth. Um, that's what we're all co- referring to it uh, for now. Um, yeah, it's just, um, I don't know. We, like, I want to put out another album, obviously. Like, I want to have music. We got songs. But as before, like, I'm trying to really not let any outside influence, like, dictate what that record is going to sound like. Um, and for me, that means it's a slow process. Um, we've completely changed, uh, the way that we write now. Uh-huh. Um, like, like Sam's in the band now, which is awesome. Um, in the past, it's really like mom jeans has been me writing the songs. Like Austin will come up with a chord progression or like a skeleton or whatever, but like I'll write the lyrics and come up with the subject structure. Uh, that's how best buds operated. Um, that's how puppy love operated this time. Like everybody is writing. Like Bart has written songs for the album. I have written songs for the album. Sam has written songs for the album. Austin has written songs for the album. Wow, that's and interesting. Not only that, but every song that I've written has gotten has had to be approved by the rest of the band, which is not something that I've ever been okay with before. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Bart and Sam have a lot more input than they've ever had before. Like really, like Bart had control, like his on puppy love like i would be like i want you to play a riff here and you can play whatever riff you want but it it, like it was still dictated you know and we're also we're also focusing a less on piece of sound for like the band or for the album like we're trying to the song like each individual song the best that it can um which is not something that we've ever done we've the albums straight through is it like a similar sound and genre or are you guys experimenting more or um it's not going to sound anything like what people have heard from us before and maybe it will i don't know it's 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 interesting because it it doesn't sound like best buds at all it does not sound like puppy love at all but it it still sounds like mom jeans to me Hmm. um which is hard to describe um and ultimately like i won't i won't really try to like i hope they like it it's at the end of the day it's still going to be us it's still going to be loud and authentic and heartfelt and uh, a little bit cheesy and uh, a little bit a little bit half-baked um but we as far as like the tone quality and the artistic direction like we are we're not cutting it um and we are really yeah do you think it'll be like 2021 2022 when you think when i can't say I really can't. They shouldn't expect anything from us ever, really. Uh-huh. They shouldn't expect anything from us ever. All, all they should all they should do is uh, when when we announce it, say thanks, because that's that's as far as we can really like plan in advance right now. I mean, I would I would love to have the album out next year. I'd love to have it out in twenty twenty one. That would be fantastic. Um, but ultimately, like the album's going to come out when we're ready to put it out. Yep. It's going to come out when we feel like we've done everything in our album. 
And that's, we're a really, really long way away from that. Yeah. Um, we just, right now we just, we have progression and taking that and turning it into an album is a lot. I want it to be a lot more serious and a lot more of an involved process than I've ever allowed it to be. Uh And rather than being scary and feeling overwhelming, um, we're all really excited actually. And we're all really motivated and really kind of looking forward to getting things going like COVID and the coronavirus situation down we don't have access to this right now um so we can't really demo we can't really practice um and i don't really like jamming or writing if we can't do it at um so it makes things hard but like at the end of the day like we still all have each other and we still all want to be in this band and we all we all want the same thing at the end of the day and that feels good and that's i i think that's what what being about is like feeling like you're a part of a family. And I definitely feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was, hey, what was it like opening for Hobo Johnson? It was tight, bro. Honestly, it was sick. Frank's, Frank's a homie. Like, for real, he's a really, really nice, like, genuine person. I think it's actually really interesting. Like, I don't, I, I say this in the most endearing endearing way humanly possible like they're just a bunch of dumbass like for real like they have no idea what they're doing like they're just a crew of dudes who like i don't want to say got lucky because like getting lucky invalidates like the fact that like he is a good songwriter and that people do music Uh um but like they got handed a crazy fucking opportunity yeah i mean it just hit at the right time you know yeah that and i don't feel like they're squandering it no, I'll tell you that. Not I feel like they're really, they are, they really realize that they're real. They realize the opportunity that they have. And Frank is doing everything in his power to be the best version of himself that he possibly can be. And I really, really, really respect that. Um, to be honest, like there wasn't a whole lot that we were able to learn from them. If that makes sense. Um, part of going on tour and opening for a band for me is getting to learn from people, mm-hmm. you know, like sad summer was insane because I got to hang out with Soupy every day and like hear about what like Wonder Years tours were like back in the day. And I got to hang out with like Derek from Mayday Parade and like talk about the way that they, um, and you know, like meet their stage managers and their guitar, see how this world like operates and like on a different scale, you know, like that's super interesting and fun for me. Um, and Hobo, like there wasn't really that they, we're good at doing um <laughs> besides playing the shows and like getting the kids to like their band uh-huh. um like their tm was a mess um their you know their organization as like a band and like as a crew was a fucking mess um their lighting guy was a mess well that's how but, you know it's real i mean no exactly they put their heart and souls into it and i think it was a, it was a, it was at the end of the day, a learning experience for me because I realized that like that side of the industry doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. Um, that like the big money, like Warner music, like getting your merch shipped to the venue, every show, um, taking, you know, a tour bus, like literally getting like paid a salary for the tour Insane. from live nation. Um, that doesn't interest me. I, I, I want no part of that for myself and for my life and for my band. Um, but, uh, it feels good to know that we can still coexist mm-hmm. in that world and that like we can still show up and play house of blues and like, yeah, it's a little bit punishing 
And yeah, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit not our style. But hopefully, if we play our cards right and we write a really, really back, we'll be the ones headlining and we'll be able to put on the show that we want to be able to provide a platform for like all that we think deserve to be playing in front of that many people. Um, and so getting to do that was really, really, really cool. We're really grateful. And it was, I don't know, for me, it was really, really empowering. I never would have thought that like a band could go on tour with like two hip hop, sorry, three hip hop groups and have fun and <laughs> have the crowd like them. <laughs> and they did. It worked out. So it was, was there like any crossover in the audience of fans? There was a little bit. Um, I think not as much as Hobo probably expected or anticipated or hoped, but also he didn't, he didn't bring us on that tour because of crossover. Like Frank sure. just likes my, like he, 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 he came to, <laughs> he came to our show, like in sack, like we played there with mover shaker mm-hmm. and he like, he watched mover shaker and he watched King of heck. He wow. watched pool kids. Like he fucking hung out. Like that's cool. Like he's a G and like he came and watched me play like a solo set, like brewery in Oakland. Like he's, He's a real homie, and he likes our music. He likes our band, and that's the only reason why he asked us to go on tour. Now, it's, it, it shows, like, naivety in a way that, like, he doesn't really know how it works, but it's also, like, I fuck with that. Yeah. I respect with somebody, like, at the top being like, no, bands up. Because that's how, that's how I roll. That's how I roll. Yeah, um, and that rocks. And, and it's cool to see it's cool to see being And whether or not their values line up with my values, like, Frank is definitely being true to himself, and I... It was inspired to be around. Totally. Um, well, thank you for doing this with me, dude. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, of course. This is fun. It's yeah, nice talking to you. I, I love hearing the stories, the origin stories, and like you know, you guys have had such a unique uh, ride that um, you know I think people will be ha- glad to hear this. Yeah, and I yeah, I just I, I hope that like our experiences, if anything, can just like provide insight to people that there there really is like no right or wrong way of doing this whole thing and that you know i don't know i think i really do believe that if you just focus on surrounding yourself with people that make you feel good like that's all you need hell yeah